Welcome to episode number 23 of The Thermal. I'm your host, Harry Tenkate. In this episode of The Thermal, a new European free distance record has been set in a Pyrenees wave flight. We talked to Baptiste in a sense, one half of this record-breaking crew. On Gliding Club Confidential, we go to Australia and the Tamora Gliding Club. COVID-19 has had a particularly hard impact on our commercial pilot friends. We check in with glider pilots who are also commercial pilots to find out how they're faring. That's all on episode number 23 of The Thermal. In March, French pilots Baptiste Innocent and Gilles Souverain broke two European class records in Gilles Stemi S12, a 25-meter open-class motor glider. The two new records are a declared three-turn point distance of 1,660 kilometers and a free distance using up to three turn points of 1,702 kilometers. Now pull out an atlas and have a look at the French-Spanish border. It basically runs east-west with the Pyrenees Mountains straddling the two nations. Using a remote start finish, the pair used wave and flew two out-and-return legs from the Mediterranean along the Pyrenees and back again. On the final leg of the flight, they actually flew 80 kilometers out over water into the Mediterranean. I spoke to Baptiste Innocent from his home in Paris. Hello, Baptiste. A pleasure to meet you on the telephone. Hi, uh, Harry. That's a pleasure to me as well to meet you. Now, for... c- congratulations on this fabulous accomplishment. What a great flight. Thank you. That was actually a great, great flight. Yes, uh, I'm glad to share that flight with Gilles, who's not here at the, at the moment. Uh, the night before the flight, you guys must have been terribly excited. I guess the, the weather was coming together. Everything was lining up to talk. Put me, take, take me back a month and how that worked out for you guys. Uh, you, can you imagine 8 p.m. we met in Perpignan and uh, 6 o'clock the, the, the sunny morning, morning we were uh, taking off. So just a little time to, to decide what, uh, what task uh, we should do. And, and, uh, but by the way, I think the, the, short, the shorter the time you have to prepare the flight, the, the, the better you choose it <laughs> because, you, yes, you, you don't take too much time to think about it, to say, uh, what if that waypoint should be 10 kilometers more to the north? Forget about that. Choose choose three points and, and go, and you'll see the morning. So put, it's put, like. put me in the cockpit. You, so t- you're taking off that morning. What is the destination? Yes. What is the planned task for this record-breaking flight? What are you thinking that you're going to accomplish? Okay, so the task um we said was 1600 kilometers in three points so start point is south of perpignan um in the french border between in in border between france and spain and on the shore and then we decide to do two out and return uh, two 800 kilometers out and return almost the same point uh, twice mm-hmm. yeah so first point was north of pampelona in spain second point was in the mediterranean close to the start point and third point again northeast of pampelona and then back to perpignan uh, the point is that usually to the west uh, the wave stops um, 80 kilometers before Pampelona. So 
the main thing is to fly on the glide, is to glide almost 150 kilometers uh, from the last wave uh, point to north of Pampolona and back. So that's the way you, you that's the trick to make more than 1,400. That's the trick you need okay. to, to glide some time. And, and how did it work out at that during that flight? I mean, you were expecting that. You take off early in the morning, you're heading to the north. How were the conditions? What was it like? So uh, after takeoff, we headed to the south. <laughs> Sorry, Harry, but this, the, the wind was from the north and mm -hmm. Perpignan is on the north side of the Pyrenees. So we head to the south. The first mountain is, close, is called the Albert. It's a really small mountain. The, the peak is at 1,800 meters only. But the wave here is usually excellent. So we took five meters per second up to 6,000 meters. And then we had a look to the west. Uh, we saw a very beautiful uh, lenticular cloud and rotor clouds. Usually when the wind is north, uh, the sky is pretty clear and there, there, is no, uh, there is no rotor, no lenticular. But that day, everything was marked. So the weather seems seemed to be better than expected. So we were happy because uh, half an hour after takeoff, you can see that the weather is going to be really good. So that's a good way for, uh, for staff. <laughs> and there was enough moisture to mark some of the clouds. There was enough, enough moisture, but not too much because when there's too, too much moisture, uh, you, you can't see the holes and, uh, and, and you're not really sure um, what clad is, is really a rotor or uh, only, only moisture. So that day, everything was pretty clear in the, in the air. And so you take off, you, you get to altitude, you turn off the motor, you get your first big yes. climb. Uh, how is it working after mm -hmm. that? Uh, after that, um, we didn't have any trouble uh, on the first leg because the wind was northeast, uh, zero four zero degrees, and um, so the first leg to the west is with um, tailwind. So if you make a little mistake, um, it, it won't have any consequence because uh, you're going fast to the west. And the advantage of this is to your first leg is marked for the three others because we are flying four times the same leg. So the first leg to the west is really important as you know, as you see uh, what it's kind of like for the three others. It, it won't be exactly the same track, of course, but you have a good idea of where the points are difficult or where the... The, the route is is much better. So what altitude were you at and, and was everything coming together? Were there any difficulties? Was was it all working out as, as planned and your your speed and everything? Um, that was that was much better than expected. So we we are on the southern part of, of the Pyrenees and all the flight is made with uh, Spanish control air control mm -hmm. uh, so 
whichever altitude we ask, almost every time we have it. So um, we ask for flight level 195 almost all the time because it's normally maximum VF, VFR uh, altitude. Mm -hmm. And the climbs up to 195 were always very good, at least two meters per second, even three, even four sometimes. So the first leg to the west, uh, we didn't encounter any difficulty. The last, uh, the last part, when uh, as, a, as I explained to you, that you need to glide 80 kilometers one way and 80 kilometers the other way without any wave uh, to reach the first turn point. Uh, that time we asked for flight level 225, and 225 we we got it. So 225 to glide 150 kilometers. We lost only 3,000 meters. And you're also in so an we, open class glider, right? You've got, a, what, a 25-meter wingspan or something? That's a 25 uh, meters. And I think the performances of the STEM S12 as are similar to the ones of an Arcus. Okay, so you're not too worried. About glide ratio. It's about 50, yeah. 50, 52. Great. So, so we had almost the, the glide ratio of, uh, of, the, of the glider during those 150 kilometers. Very nice. So, yes, we came back into the wave, and that was the, the biggest difficulty of the flight. The first uh, 150 kilometers glide would be the longest we, we would need to do during the whole flight. So that difficulty passed. We, with that, that, <laughs> that it was really good. And the average speed was about 150 uh, kilometers per hour. So that was really much better than expected. Now, Very it, much better. It, it took you something like 12 hours, if I'm correct? Exactly. That was 12 hours. And we were actually, we, we, we finished the task uh, one hour and 30 minutes before the sunset. So we were much ahead of schedule. Were you prepared to spend that long? I mean, five hours, six hours, seven hours, but 12 hours in the cockpit without moving around. That's that's a long time. Were you guys mentally prepared for that? You know that you want to, to do that fly. So mentally, yes, you're you're ready to, to do that 12, 14, 15 hours flight. The most important in that, I think, to last uh, 12 hours or 14 hours is, is the gear you have. Mm -hmm. A good jacket, good gloves, um, shoes, and overshoes, overboots. I, I have um, warming warming soles. I have uh, warming gloves. So every 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 gear is very very important as you can as you can freeze in in a short time yeah. uh, if you're not well prepared and if you're not well equipped. That's another part of the of the preparation for uh, for a long flight. Now, how did you and Gilles share the responsibilities in the cockpit? How did that work out? I would say that it, it's it's quite natural. Uh, Gilles is, Gilles knows the Pyrenees very well, as uh, he's been flying in in those mountains for a long time first as a hang glider pilot 
and uh, and then as a glider pilot so he knows every every mountain almost every every rock <laughs> mm, right right <laughs> by his own name yes that's right so he knows everything um in geography and after and after that i, I would say that we're almost agree we almost agree on every decision except one or two but those are not mm, dramatic it, it it it's it has not dramatic consequences if you choose one instead of the other one. So for the moment, the the, the flights we've done, uh, we've, I, I think we've shared uh, six or seven flights together. Um, we we didn't make lots of um, mistakes by choosing one option um, better than another option. Mm-hmm. So for timing and knock on wood and we're we almost agree on anything now a part of this flight i read was also a considerable distance over water something like 80 kilometers yeah that that's the crazy part of the flight um when we came back on our last leg uh the finish point was uh was almost the start point, so at, at the shore, uh, on the on the sea, on, on the Mediterranean Sea. But we we still were in 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 that wave we took uh, just after after takeoff. So we knew that that wave would um, would climb up to at least one nine five. And we were, as I told, we were ahead of schedule. We 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 still had a lot of time uh, to fly. So instead of coming back to the west and playing um, playing kilometers with the Owl Sea, if we wanted to increase the record mark, we needed to go to the east, you know, mm-hmm. to to extend the last leg. And Gilles had a wonderful idea was to ask to Spanish control to climb Flatwell 245. Just like just okay if it works it, it's okay and the control the the air control was very nice and and she told us she was a woman she told us okay no traffic report she climbed 245 and called marseille and that was crazy so we climbed 245 on an average of two meters per second uh, and and then we head to the east and we switched with uh, marseille control and we told him uh, okay, Marseille, uh, we've been cleared 245 by uh, Spanish control, but in France, maybe 195. Do you want us to, to go down with the air brakes? And he told us, no, no problem, you're alone. We have no traffic. Stay 245, descend, descend uh, at your speed and, and call me back when uh, going back. Huh. That was just amazing. We were alone in the world, <laughs> over the sea. That was crazy. But the sun was behind us. It was uh, six in six p.m. The temperature was minus thirty-five degrees. I was freaking cold. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's it's magic. To, you know, you, I don't know if you can imagine such a moment. It's just amazing. A, a little bit, and you make me jealous. <laughs> you need to come and try. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> now, when you were over this, over the water at that distance, I mean, of course, the you've got a, a motor in the Stem A12. 
Did, did you have yes. any life jackets or anything just in case, or did you were you confident enough? No, actually, actually, we don't. No, we don't rely on on the engine, and we were right. Uh, so we were uh, we turned back at maximum glide ratio of the nearest airport of twenty. Okay. Okay, so no no problem, because uh, this if. The, the stem, the engine is made with uh, with uh, oil and uh, and fuel. It's standard engine. So if you start, if you try to start it, and the temperature is very, very, very cold, and you've not studied it for a long time, it, it can take a long time to to start. And and it took ten minutes to start actually. Hmm. So, because the, the the oil was um, was very cold, and when the oil is too cold, sure, it's, it's too viscous. Yeah, yeah. syrup. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it took ten minutes to to start. So during the the start uh, attempts, we we were still a, a good glide ratio from uh, from the closest Spanish airport, uh, about uh, nope. fifteen, eighteen. You you started the engine so you could go back and land. Yes, we started the engine just to go back to Perpignan and land sunset plus uh, ten minutes. Wow, what a what a flight! Now I that, I noticed that was cool. <laughs> on the FAI flight uh, where the the record is still pending because I guess they still have to check all the paperwork. But is it is it yes. a shared record or how does that work for who who holds the record? It's a shared record. Um, okay. The FII gives you the opportunity to share a record as a team, mm -hmm. and that's I think that's uh, the that's what the majority of people do uh, when they share a Euro European world record. So yeah. we decided to share it as a team, as it's as, as we have the possibility to do that, and and that it doesn't care for uh, for for us to. To hold a record on our name and not with with an, with uh, someone else it doesn't matter. Yeah, that's lovely. That's no problem. That's <laughs> so. lovely. And and it sounds like you had the the right glider for the trip. I mean, the Stemme S12 sounds like a pretty spectacular aircraft. The good thing is that without um, without putting any water on it, you, you take off at uh, maximum takeoff weight. So uh, your uh, wing load is already at the maximum you can have on that glider. On, on, a standard, on another glider, even uh, an open class glider, you need to, to put water on it to, to have a wing load higher. Mm -hmm. So the stem is good for that. You, you are heavy to for the wave for wave flight. It's perfect. Um, the second thing, of course, is uh, that you can take off and land as a plane, and uh, you don't need some someone to hold the wing before start. You don't need any 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 tail plane. That's really cool. Yeah, because the, the, the third thing, yeah, the gear configuration is like a, a normal triplane or a exactly. tail dragger. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. So the, the third thing is that the the range of uh, the engine is very very long. You, you can 
you can fly almost 500 kilometers or maybe more. He tell he told me 800 hmm. with uh, with full tank. Wow. So 800 800 kilometers with full tank, and you can uh, you can change your base your your base field uh, as much as you want to to start from the better conditions mm-hmm. you can have. Baptiste, what's what's next on your on your list of uh, flight accomplishment? What's what's the next record you want <laughs> to break, and will you be doing it with Gilles? Um, actually, there are a lot. Uh, I would say uh, I, I still my, I, I still hide my uh, magical garden to to be kept secret. But <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, one of those is the FAI Triangle on one thousand two hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a mix of uh, wave and thermals in the Pyrenees and uh, and uh, north of uh, Lyon, for okay. example, that's a possibility. Uh, we may try with the Steme S12. We may try a, a goal a goal distance from uh, France to Morocco, for example, wow. as uh, cool. as they had done in 1992. And that record uh, has not been uh, broke since. So we we will try we'll try that one for sure. That we'll sounds that like one. a lot as of soon fun. as the borders are open, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, that sounds great. That sounds great. Yes, but that's there's a possibility of one thousand seven hundred or maybe maybe two thousand uh, on on straight line. So you you're gonna possibility in the future you might break your own record again as well of course of <laughs> course uh, that that one is not that one is not the the hardest to break yeah well. i think <laughs> the same flight but starting from the alps instead of starting from the pyrenees and and you have 2000 kilo, and 200 kilometers more automatically because you start to 200 kilometers from the east well, Baptiste, it's been lovely speaking to you, and I must congratulate you again on this fabulous flight that you did with Gilles. And thank uh, you, Harry. Uh, I appreciate you you calling me the, tonight. So that was very, very, very nice. Well, and very, I, I can very interesting. Tell you, many of the the listeners to this podcast are all over the world, and they're going to be very impressed <laughs> with uh, your story of how you guys did this. And uh, it, it's it's love it, it's lovely. It's a, a great story, and and again, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Yes, I hope people uh, will come and fly in in France, in the Pyrenees, and in the Alps after uh, hearing that story. Yeah, I'm sure you <laughs> that, will. That those are very beautiful mountains. Beautiful mountains. Good. Baptiste, thanks again, and we will speak to you in the future. I hope. Yes, thank you, Harry. Yes, uh, we'll 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 talk together anytime you want. Good. Thank you. Okay. Good night. Baptiste Innocent spoke to me from Paris, France. If you want to learn more about this remarkable flight, go to the OLC and look for Baptiste Innocent and Gilles Souverain. I will also post a link on the Thermals Facebook page. The Thermal Podcast is proud to promote Proving Grounds, an automated task scoring platform designed to safely turn novice glider pilots into cross-country soaring pilots. Proving Grounds is now in use in Canada, Europe, and the United States. And the Soaring Society of America now joins the Soaring Association of Canada by providing support for gliding clubs who want to implement this fabulous cross-country motivational tool. 
check out episode 15 of The Thermal, where co-founder Patrick McMahon talks about Proving Grounds and how it works. For more information, go to their website, which is SoaringTasks, all one word, dot com. That's SoaringTasks.com. Proving Grounds is especially a hit among novice pilots who want to learn how to safely fly beyond gliding distances of the club. This month on Gliding Club Confidential, we go to Australia's Tamora Gliding Club. Earlier this year, we spoke with Scott Lennon about the Formula One Gliding Grand Prix competition for old glass ships, a competition that he actually won. Scott is now back again to tell us all about his gliding club. So, Scott, thanks for coming back onto the podcast to talk about the Tamora Gliding Club. I always like to start about location. Where is this club located? Tamora is a small rural town. Um about 5,000 people. Uh, we're 300 kilometres west of Sydney and about 400 kilometres north of Melbourne. So we sit on the uh, plains just to the west of the Great Dividing Range that runs down the east coast of Australia. And, and this is a sort of classic Australian gliding area, right? Yeah, lots of flat croplands uh, for hundreds of kilometres uh, there's nothing more than about a thousand foot high in the nearest sort of hundred kilometers. Um, if we want to get a bit adventurous and we try to get a group to do this, uh, we could go down to uh, Mount Kosciuszko, which is about 7,000 feet and the highest point on Australia. And that's about, uh, 200 kilometers to the Southeast of us. But, but generally speaking, it's mostly thermal flying at, uh, at great heights. Yeah. Yes, we use typical Australian thermal conditions. We've got flatlands uh, where the thermals produce up to six or seven knots and uh, typical days are up around 10,000 feet. Oh, God, you're killing me. That sounds fabulous. With the last few weeks, we've uh, had lots of cumulus cloud up to uh, 13,000 feet. Nice, nice. And, and talk to me about the, the airfield. Uh, is it a grass strip? Is it just a gliding club? Is there more stuff going on? Talk to me about the, uh, the, the location. We've got uh, two quite long bitumen runways, um, but we've also got grass beside the, um, the bitumen, which operates a dual strip, which means that we can grid up and occupy the grass while other people are taxiing or using the uh, bitumen at the same time. I read somewhere that some of the, the other people that use that airfield happen to be things like Spitfires. Is that right? Yeah, we're uh, home to the Tamora Aviation Museum, uh, which has a collection of flying historic aircraft that are specifically historic for Australians. Uh, so we've got things like Sabres, uh, the Vampire, a Canberra bomber, two Spitfires, a couple of Dragonflies, some Tiger Moth. Um, Very cool. So you, as you're flying around the club, you get to see this, you know, collection of great vintage planes flying around as well. Yeah, not all the time, but uh, yeah, occasionally we uh, share the sky together. Very nice. Very nice. Now, is your club large or small? What's the membership? We've got about 50 members, but like most clubs, um, only a few of those are really active. Um, but we've got quite a good core group of cross-country addicts. And uh, we go out and fly together and uh, typically we'll go out as a group of about six and fly a 500-kilometre task together. Nice. And aerotoes? 
Yes, only Erito. The club owns a Pawnee uh, as well as a Janus two-seater and a Club Labelle. But on the airfield, we've also got about 33 private aircraft um, hangered in uh, half in private hangars and the other half in just two other hangars that... Uh, one Bellman hangar, which is left over from World War II that has a lot of aircraft in it, and, uh, and um, we've got a new hangar that uh, we just built as a, a COVID project for the club, uh, which has got 11 gliders in it. Great. It's better than having to rig a glider every day. Yeah. And it helps uh, helps the club with uh, getting more launches on our tug. Now, I understand there's some plans in the future about possibly building a guest house so that uh, other people like me can come over there and possibly fly for a little while? Yeah, as part of this new hangar, the, uh, the block that we bought has room to put a four-bedroom accommodation and small clubhouse on. So we're going to try and get that funded in the near future and um, have another source of income for the club, but also offer accommodation and maybe flying for international or local guests to come and fly with us. That sounds absolutely lovely. So, Scott, you've got your own uh, glider repair business there at the airfield. How's that going? It's been a little bit slow with COVID, but uh, generally it uh, keeps me occupied. Um, I've got enough work to keep just myself busy, which is all that matters, uh, but also enough time to go and fly when, when the work's not as busy. Wow, what a great combination uh, for, for work and play. That sounds fabulous. It was set up that way. Smart man. It's a good way to sort of see you recovery. Scott, thank you very much for telling us uh, about your gliding club. And uh, like I said, I hope... Uh, post-COVID and all of that in the future, I'd like to come by for a visit. So uh, I hope we get to meet at some point in the future. Thanks again. Look forward to it. Thanks, Harry. Scott Lennon spoke to me from Tamora, Australia. If you want to find out more about the Tamora Gliding Club, go to tamoragliding.org.au. That's tamoragliding.org.au. And Scott's glider repair shop is called SL Composites in Tamora. <music> Now a word about our sponsor, SkySight. This weather app was designed with glider pilots in mind. If you want to learn more, listen to SkySight's founder, Matthew Scudder, on episode number seven. SkySight is easy to use and has great functionality. And it's great for predicting convergence lines and task planning. For listeners of The Thermal who are interested in trying out SkySight to maximize their cross-country flying or just figure out if it's worth the drive to the gliding club, use the voucher promo code THERMAL in capital letters, and you'll get a 14-day free trial. The backbone of many gliding clubs is comprised of the working pilots who fly big silver things so they can support their soaring habits. These commercial pilots are the instructors, tow pilots, and board members of clubs around the world. But COVID-19 has had a devastating impact on the airline industry and commercial pilots in particular. Max Jurgensen and Logan Oros are two young commercial pilots. They are also glider pilots and fly the tow planes at the Southern Ontario Soaring Association, my home club. They both had real flying jobs until COVID-19 struck. Logan is at home in Hamilton, Ontario, and Max is at home in Guelph, Ontario. Hello, gentlemen, and uh, welcome to the podcast. 
So, Max, let me start with you. Tell us about your commercial gig and, and what's happening now. All right. Well, uh, for about uh, two and a half years, I was flying for Air Transat. They uh, had me flying a uh, the Airbus 330. Um, yeah, I was there pretty much just long enough to get comfortable, get a sense of things. And then obviously, uh, well, we all know what happened. And um, since then, I've been kind of bouncing around from job to job. Uh, nothing quite as interesting as flying. Um, kind of. Are you still- doing any flying work at all? No, no, no. I probably applied to, uh, oh, let's just say many, many jobs trying to find anything locally based or rotational. But, uh, you know, as you can imagine, with probably 80% of the, the world's uh, flight crews laid off and myself not being in the top 10 or 20%, it's a, it's a pretty tough sell. And what are you, what are you doing now? Uh, so I work at a rail yard, uh, essentially offloading train rail cars full of plastic pellets into trucks so yeah basically i'm the pilot of a shunt truck and a tractor and uh yeah that's that's my glamorous nine to five now logan uh i know you had a flying gig out west somewhere what what happened to you i did yeah so i was i got hired uh i was hired last january to uh, fly a sob at pacific coastal airlines we were doing flying for WestJet, uh, what's called WestJet Link out of out of Calgary. So we were serving smaller communities through Alberta and BC. Um, I started there in January, and then unfortunately, as everyone knows, COVID hit kind of in March, and uh, that was the end of the end of the line there, at least for at least for now. And this and this was your first flying job, right? Yeah, that would be my first job. Yeah. Wow, that must have been just devastating when uh, you got the news that it was time to go home. Yeah, it was definitely a definitely a sting. I was actually in Toronto on a on a few days off. Um, I came to visit family and got the news. I kind of knew it was coming, and I got the news when I was sitting at home and j- had to get on a flight the next day to go back to Calgary and collect my car and stuff. So hmm. that was uh, definitely hurt. Now, what are you doing now, Logan? So right now, I am lucky enough to be doing some flying. Actually, we've uh, I'm helping a, an FBO in Waterloo, a fixed based operator. I work for them, and we're starting up a banner towing business, and uh, I'm writing another com for them as well, uh, an operations manual, and we're going to be starting a, a float plane charter uh, business to uh, to and from Muskoka from the GTA uh, eventually. I mean, it's just, it's we can go as, as fast as transport can go, but thankfully they've been pretty good so far uh, through the process. So that's good. You're not le- You're not letting COVID keep you down. You're keeping your hand in it and trying to do what you can. Yeah, doing my best, which is, I mean, it's important. Max, he's, uh, I mean, no one's lucky in this situation, but he's got a, a, a hand, multiple handfuls of hours uh, behind him, and I don't have that yet, so I've got to still keep my hand in it and build that time. Hmm. Now, Max, what are you hearing from some of your other colleagues? What are they doing to survive? Oh, uh, well, uh, a lot of the people of about my my age group, I'm still fairly young, 28. So uh, a lot of my contemporaries, I guess you could say, are uh, are kind of scrabbling for more or less entry level jobs. I got a friend of mine who's, uh, you know, working back at uh, at Zares pretty much. I've got another friend. And of that, mine that's a local who, grocery store. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's, he's stocking shelves again. I've got uh, 
a friend who is about to start a job instructing pending COVID openings. So that's uh, that's an option. A couple of people have been uh, lucky or ultimately otherwise successful enough to stay flying. Uh, for example, a friend of mine who just got his six seven uh, initial training done at Air Canada. Uh, I guess Air Canada had an agreement with cargo jet so he was able to take his fresh ticket and uh, he's flying cargo for them uh but other other than that everybody's pretty much yeah scraping together an income any way they can now logan what uh, do you think is going to happen in the near term and long term do you think you're being able to get a job back with an airline after you do this other work for a while what, what do you think the future holds well, I definitely think the future. I mean, if we look at what's happening in the States already, Canada always seems to be about a year behind or six months behind what's going on down there. And they've got almost every regional and major starting to hire in the States again. I think it's only a matter of time uh, in Canada. And I know uh, from my company or my past com- previous company, at least Pacific Coastal, they've, uh, they've started to open up a bunch more routes. And thankfully, we're getting shots in arms now slowly. And once that picks up, I expect... Uh, It'll only be a matter of time before we get called back. And Max, what do you think is going to happen? Are you going to be able to get work back with your uh, former employer? Well, that's a fantastic question. I think everybody at Transat's wondering exactly what the future is going to hold. Uh, With Transat specifically, of course, that's been complicated by uh, uh, about two years of discussion of uh, potential new uh, corporate ownership uh, of Transat. So there's been a lot of uh, change in what, our Transat pilot group has been expecting. Long story short, I mean, um, I suppose we're all expecting a recall eventually. As things stand right now, we are, uh, or Transat is, is operating independently uh, and the, the leisure market is anticipated to pick up uh, on the sooner side. So uh, yeah, I guess we're all hoping our number gets called before too much longer. Now, are you guys doing anything to stay current i mean logan you're doing a bit of flying i gather what about you max uh i haven't since last summer uh last summer a friend of mine was building the last couple of hours he needed for his atpl in a 172 so i was able to essentially mooch flight time with him and kind of buzz around southern ontario which was excellent for uh currency and just generally having fun of course um i haven't really gotten into anything this summer yet i'm still kind of tossing options around uh, and logan what about gliding is there uh, any of that in your future can you afford can you guys even afford to go gliding this year oh yeah no i'll be gliding again this year i'll be flying uh sosa's youth jantar of course uh, and i've already towed uh two days at the gliding club and i'll oh, lucky you i <laughs> continue now that to everything's that. shut down again yeah, I, I mean, we had what what was like the earliest start in, in a long, in my four years at SOSA at least. And then, then it was, of course, we're shut down now. But once we're back open again, I expect to be out there again, towing some gliders and giving checkouts and all that stuff. No, that sounds good. Now, Max, I know your, your father, I think, has an ASW20 there at the club. Are you going to be able to get into it this year? That's the uh, that's the plan, yeah. Hopefully. Hmm. <laughs> so, guys, are, are you optimistic or or pessimistic about the near term what what do you think is going to happen in the next six months to you guys i i mean i'm i for one i'm optimistic i mean uh it there's been some news at least internally that things might start to pick up so uh i think it's it's definitely a good sign i know we've had a lot of there were some pilots left for different airlines and things so they're gonna have to call people back eventually and we just gotta wait it out 
Now, do you, do, is there going to be increased competition? Because I can't imagine everybody being called back. So let's say 90%, 80% of the commercial pilots are laid off. Will they be calling back on the seniority level or, how, or are they going to mix and match it? What do you think is going to happen? I, it'll be all seniority like it uh, like it always is with the airlines, or at least that's the way it, it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that's the way I expect it to go. Okay. All right, guys. Well, listen, uh, it's been great talking to you. Uh, finally, I, you know, do, do you guys sometimes wake up and think, you know, WTF, what happened? I had a great career. I was, I was flying Airbuses to Paris or, you know, doing a good run into Vancouver. Do, do you guys sometimes wake up in the morning and go, what the hell happened? Every day. Only, only all day, every day, exactly. Honestly, I mean, it seems like a like a distant memory, almost dreamlike. It's, it seems like a, feels like a different life, you know. And Logan, same for you? Yeah, absolutely. It was, I mean, it was only so short for me. I think I, I officially flew eight days out west, uh, so it was so short, but it, it was it was a really nice eight days, so I'm ecstatic <laughs> to go back. I imagine. Right. Gentlemen, listen, I, I wish you the, the best of luck. I hope uh, this COVID thing starts to get under control in our part of the world and that you can resume your commercial flying career. So uh, take care and thank you for speaking to me. Thanks, My Harry. pleasure, Harry. It's great okay. to talk to you. Okay, guys, take care. Bye-bye. Have a good one. See you. Thanks. Logan Oros spoke to me from Hamilton and Max Yerkeson spoke to me from Guelph, Ontario. If you're in the greater Toronto area and would like Logan to banner tow your message, go to charters.flightline.ca. That's charters.flightline.ca. And flight is spelt F-L-I-T-E. That's F-L-I-T-E. As we just heard, the global impact of COVID-19 on the commercial airline industry has been tremendous. Adam Woolley is an Australian commercial pilot and competition glider pilot who also writes about soaring. His life has also been turned upside down by COVID-19. Hello, Adam. Nice to chat with you. G'day, Harry. How are you? I'm doing okay. So we're talking about COVID today. Talk to us about how COVID has impacted your life. Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly uh, put, uh, put things on hold and, and uh, things on its uh, back a little bit, but um, generally a pretty positive person so i um i'm trying to make uh, make the most of uh, the situation that's uh, that's come at me and uh that situation is basically um like everyone swimming along in life i was uh, uh an airline pilot with uh, ornipon airways or or uh, underneath the arm of air japan flying uh, 767s uh, out of narita living uh living the dream a uh, a perfect roster good income uh staff travel I was able to chase uh, summer all around the world. So uh, from uh, April through till August, I'd spend in uh, Europe. and, uh, and Doing a lot of September gliding there, right? Through... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just, just chasing summer. And then, uh, and then I'd go to Australia from uh, uh, typically from September through till uh, March and compete in all our competitions. And, and that, was, that was my life for the last uh, five years. And then uh, – of course, COVID hit, and um, things. Uh, we all went through our own stresses of what was happening at work, and each day all the updates were coming through. And and uh, as it turned out, unfortunately, Air Japan uh, had to furlough, which I think uh, is the American term for basically saying, uh, um, "Please yeah, go home." Yeah, laid off, and yeah. we'll call you if we need you. <laughs> so, and so, that yeah, happened so to that you was, last uh, summer. 
That's that's right. Yeah. So for me, it was um, a little bit of a confusing time because uh, I was fortunate enough to um, uh, start my captain's training at uh, at work, which was uh, obviously exciting. And uh, I made the decision to head to uh, Japan early so I could study and just prepare. And and uh, as it turned out, um, about uh, ten days later, they closed the borders of Japan, and no no more foreigners were allowed in. So anyway, they allowed me to complete uh, my uh, simulator training there, but uh, all my colleagues, uh, well, not all my colleagues, uh, quite a fair few of them, they were locked out of the country, couldn't return to work. So I was there with this uh, magic opportunity of, of um, getting my captaincy, so I was really happy. But, um, but I found it difficult to, to be happy because uh, I knew that so many of my friends and airline friends were all hurting wondering whether they're going to have a job, uh, their incomes were stopped, and here I was still on full salary uh, doing this uh, this dream. Hmm. So by confusing, I meant that uh, I was happy, but I couldn't really – I happy. didn't really feel like I could share my happiness. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, then uh, passed my um, uh, simulator captain's training with, uh, with uh, Air Japan, and then they delivered the letter to everyone and said uh, all 300 pilots um, – it's been wonderful working with you. We hope to see you again in the future. Um, but uh, for now, um, we're serving you three months' notice and uh, we'll be in contact with you later. So yeah. that was it. <laughs> so and, flash, uh, flash forward, yeah, what, so, what, what's happening now? What, what do you do for a living now? Well, um, I thought I'd just make the, the most of my time off. So I just spent all of summer, like I always do, going gliding. And uh, But then I... I uh, exhausted all my money, <laughs> and uh, and it's now time to work. So uh, March the 10th, I uh, managed to um, get a job in the mines, uh, the gold mines in Western Australia. So I'm a uh, I'm a dump truck driver. Um, just recently got checked out on the Caterpillar Triple Sevens, which is uh, carrying a hundred ton of dirt in the back and and uh, some gold at times as well. So that's um, it's a complete contrast or somewhere i didn't expect to be but I, but i am i am enjoying it i'm enjoying the, making the most of it is it really called a triple seven it, it is yeah i <laughs> i didn't believe it myself when i first <laughs> when i first said you, you, you're gonna be on the triple seven pretty soon i went what there's <laughs> <laughs> a truck with a triple seven <laughs> wow and uh yeah sure as eggs there are and so i uh I, I'm endorsed on a triple seven now. The, the the aircraft I'd always love to fly. <laughs> how how hard has this adjustment been for you? Uh, yeah, it's um, it uh, it hasn't been too bad, I, I guess, because I'm generally a pretty realistic person and a, a positive person. I always look for the look for the good in people, that sort of thing. So. I truly believe that I'm going to be going back to flying and I believe that's going to be around end of 2022, beginning mm -hmm. of 2023. So uh, I think that I'm 37 long still now. Yeah, say again, sorry. So you still think it's going to, it's going to be that long? It's going to literally be another two years? That That's right, yeah. So they're, they're just starting to commence uh, contract negotiations at work mm -hmm. uh, where I used to be. So that's... Um, for me, that's a, a positive sign, and uh, and uh, when they said uh, we'd like to see you again, they they, gen they generally mean that. And uh, so, uh, you know, the Japanese are very honourable people. So I guess with that in mind, I've been trying to treat this uh, like a forced 
forced annual leave. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a nice reset on uh, life for me. Uh, as you know, the world seems to be quite um, fast-paced in uh, pre-COVID times, and now it seems a lot slower. And uh, and I kind of kind of like the change in pace of learnt the value of a dollar again. And, mm-hmm. and um, being 37, I'm very, very, very lucky that I'm that age and the position I'm in right now because I think if I was um, 45 or 50 in my same position, then there might not be enough time to recover for retirement. Right, right. Um, but for me personally, um, 37, I can fly until I'm 65. Um, so basically, I've given myself this um give myself uh, this time off the hook i suppose to say enjoy yourself for the next three years you never get this opportunity again good or, attitude now at least i hope you you mentioned <laughs> you got some gliding in this summer um which was great uh, australian summer of course what uh, do you think is going to yeah. happen next season are you going to be able to get a full season in or do you have to work next year or this year uh yes yeah, that's right. Yeah, so my goal at the moment is to work hard for the next uh, six months. And uh, fortunately, my uh, boss is a is a top ranked uh, glider pilot in Australia as well. That helps. So he's uh, so he's very he's very forgiving of my goals and ambitions. And uh, I was upfront with him when I asked him for a, well, actually he offered me a job, and it's very upfront with him to say, look, uh, my ideal situation, if you can manage it, is um, I'll work hard for you now if I can have uh, summer off. And, uh, yeah, we said, yeah, he said, you're welcome. Um, let, let's do it. So yeah, so I'm just head down tail up at the moment, saving money. And so uh, with the way Australia is at the moment, um, I can see that it will be possible to fly uh, all summer long next year, which begins in middle of August and goes through till the end of February, maybe early March. Mm-hmm. Um, the only question will be is whether the governments close our borders, um, Correct, yeah. And the only reason why that's a problem is because um, that'll stop the like the Australian Nationals going ahead, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm if I'm locked into a state that's not my own, um, I'll be there because the weather's the best. <laughs> so so right. I've already I've already told my parents um I'm uh, not holding back next year. I'm just going uh, gliding. And uh, if I get locked in the state, then sorry, I'm, I'll just I'll be home a bit later because um, I really don't want to give in to sort of fear or being locked away from home and give away a good summer when, uh, when I could just accept that I might be in a different state for a few more weeks longer than I want to be. Right. Now, did I see that you've got yeah. a new glider? Oh, yeah, I do the 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 dream ship. Yeah. So, what what are the goals uh, yeah. with what what is the glider and what are your goals for that this coming season? Yeah, so uh, three years ago, I put the deposit down and and uh, bought myself a Avengers three, and uh, I bought the turbo with that as well. Um, and uh, the original reason why I bought the glider was to uh, fly to the World Championships in uh, Germany uh, coming up in uh, July. Mm. But of course, they got delayed, and then I decided to send the glider home because it's everything's just you can't predict anything at the moment, as you know. And uh, yeah, so the dream uh, is on the water at the moment. It's um, just left Belgium on the way to Australia. Should be here in June. Uh, I'll be working in the west, so my father will pick it up, uh, register it, have it ready for me, <laughs> which uh, very spoiled, I know. 
That's um, exciting. Good for you. And then uh, extremely exciting. So yeah, my plans this year are to win both nationals uh, in the in the Ventus three, uh, and actually to win every competition I enter, um, but but primarily the nationals. Uh, I'd like to uh, set records uh, this summer as well. I, I had uh, a lot of uh, opportunity to fly records in the summer just being, and uh, got a real kick out of it. Tested the tested the skills and kept my mind focused for what I really want to achieve in life. And uh, so I'd like to continue that this summer as well. Well, Adam, so uh, hopefully, hopefully 100 hours. Yeah, that's, that, that sounds great and something to look forward to in these, in these COVID times. So um, that, that really does sound fabulous. And uh, good luck to you. Hope uh, that things in Australia keep going in the right direction and, Maybe we'll chat again in the next year or so to see how your flying season is going once your once your competition season starts. Yeah, that'd be that'd be really great. So, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. All right, Adam, you take care. Bye bye. All right, great, and uh, yeah, look after yourself and talk to you later. Bye. Cheers. Commercial pilot, glider pilot, and dump truck driver Adam Woolley spoke to me from Perth, Western Australia. If you want to follow Adam and his gliding exploits, go to his Facebook page, which is called Adam Woolley's Gliding Adventures. That's Adam Woolley's Gliding Adventures on Facebook. That's it for episode number 23 of The Thermal. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. I can be reached at the thermal podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. That's the thermal podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for centering The Thermal Podcast. See you next time. I'm Harry Tenkate. Fly safe.